This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, we did it. We're doing this inside thing without a glitch. <laughs> Almost. It is so good to be here. I don't know about you, doesn't it feel weird uh, wearing masks together again after being outside? I, that's a, a very strange feeling. It makes me glad I'm speaking this morning so I can have mine off. Uh, I'm Rick Smith. I'm the spiritual formation pastor here. Uh, uh, Adam uh, and Heather are staying home today. Their two boys are just uh, uh, really sick and uh, just out of a sense of extreme caution, uh, they, uh, they felt like they better not be here uh, today uh, in case they're carrying anything. So um, he, uh, he was so looking forward to being at our uh, first service once again inside. And uh, uh, it's not quite as beautiful as outside, but isn't it wonderful to be in a warm spot? And we've got uh, a pretty good view of God's creation, and uh, it's just good to be together in this way. Well, uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent, of course, means coming or arrival, and it, uh, it's the season of Advent on the Christian calendar uh, is the beginning of a new Christian year. Uh, it's kind of a structure that centuries ago, the, the church came up with a calendar uh, as a way of establishing different rhythms of life year after year after year and celebrating significant things. So we are celebrating, as we begin Advent, uh, we are celebrating the past birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are anticipating his second coming uh, once again. Uh, but there's something else we, he wants us to be expecting and anticipating, that even today, as we gather together, that we would expect his coming to us uh, by his living word uh, as the spirit works among us. And uh, I, I hope you'll enter this time um, um, as I, we're going to be looking at a, a passage of scripture together and uh, I, I want to view myself this morning as more of a facilitator to help us together uh, see what God was saying when he wrote this word, uh, was saying to the people when he wrote it, but also what he's saying to us today. And we're just going to need the sp his spirit uh, to be our teacher this morning. Uh, so just join me in that expectation. Uh, the passage we're looking at today is um, Luke chapter 15. Let me see if I can find it here. 
And the way this ties in to Advent is that uh, in Jesus' first coming, you know, the scriptures of old, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, often referred to the day that there was one coming, an anointed one, a Messiah, a, a Christ was coming, and he was going to make everything right, and he was going to level the playing field, and all things would be made new. And uh, so when Jesus showed up on the scene uh, by very humble means, and the angels testified to none other than shepherds, uh, and, and shepherds were not highly regarded, uh, it was really confusing to people. And as Jesus started his ministry uh, as a man, uh, people in the know that studied the scriptures and depended on them and taught them, uh, the religious leadership, they were expecting someone to come in and set everything right, just like the Old Testament talked about, uh, and level the playing field. And certainly that must mean uh, crushing the Romans, the oppressive Romans, and and get making Israel into a powerful nation once again. And uh, it was confusing. Uh, that didn't seem to be what Jesus was doing. So the question was, could he possibly, how could he be the Messiah? How could he be the one we've waited for? Well, Jesus has just finished talking to a group of people about the high cost of following him, of being a disciple. Uh, he said things like, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. Really hard words. He goes right in then to, he's with this group, and we start on chapter 15 of Luke, chapter 1. And let me just read the passage, verses 1 through 10 and see if you can get a feel for what's going on. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, grumbled, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then he finds it. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, this is Jesus' punchline. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman 
has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my last coin. In the same way, I tell you, here's the punchline, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, let's, let's just ask God to join us and teach us this morning. Lord, uh, thank you so much uh, for pulling us together this morning. Uh, it is our desire to worship you. And we'd love to hear. We'd love to really hear. We'd love to get your word this morning. We'd like to understand it to the point that we see you in the very midst of it. We'd like its truth to penetrate our hearts, to transform our minds, to change us, even this morning. Would you do that? We ask this in the authority of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, it's very interesting when it says, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody uh, that lived in the area who were tax collectors and sinners, that is, uh, those two things are basically saying everybody that had a questionable, questionable re reputation, everybody that was on the fringes of society at the time, who weren't highly regarded, uh, that is, who were regarded, who were despised, those kind of people in general gathered around to hear Jesus. When you looked at a typical crowd, that's mostly who you'd see. Uh, it doesn't mean that the religious leaders and the, the regular citizens didn't come to hear him. It doesn't mean that there weren't Pharisees and priests and teachers of the law that didn't respond to Jesus, because there were. But in general, when, he, when a crowd would gather around him, what would really stand out, the majority of the crowd was disreputable folks. That's what tax collector and sinner uh, is saying. And have you ever wondered why why would people like that be attracted to Jesus, the Messiah? What was it about him that drew people that most of the people in that society wanted nothing to do? I like to think, and I don't mean any disrespect, I'm, I'm trying to um, think about uh, who in my mind are tax collectors and sinners? That is, who uh, in, in the culture I live in do I tend to want to stay away from? 
I tend to want to not make eye contact with. I tend to devalue them as human beings. For me, uh, uh, for me, it's probably the homeless. And I, that's, I mean, I'm not proud of that. I'm telling you, my internal response is I, I don't want to make eye contact, right? I, I'm afraid the person will come over and ask me for something. Uh, I, I don't want to be around a person like that as if it's catching and I might become homeless, as if they had leprosy or something. Uh, these were people like that, that nobody wanted to be around. What is it about Jesus that drew them? Have you thought about that? I, I, I think we can uh, speculate a little bit. I, I think Jesus must have been a person that actually made eye contact with the sinners and tax collectors. When he was talking to them, he must have connected with them in a way. You know what it's like to be with somebody and you're talking with them and you feel like you are the most important person in their life at that moment that you are talking to them. Have you had that experience? Uh, we had a, a family, a doctor of family practice uh, years ago in St. Louis. His name was Dr. Johnson. And, you know, doctors have no time. Uh, when he would come in the room where we were, um, it was as if he had all day. And we knew he didn't have all day. But when we were with him, he was with us. He was just present. And it, you know that feeling? It's just like, and it was so wonderful. It was like we really mattered to him. I think Jesus was something like that. Now imagine God is going to take on human flesh, and one of his purposes in in coming to us and becoming one of us, one of his purposes was to show us what love looks like. And boy, did he. The very thing that the Pharisees accused him of is hanging out with sinners and eating with them as if he was their friend. That very accusation was his whole purpose in coming. So Jesus seemed to really connect. He, he made eye contact. Um, he seemed to be warmly welcoming to people. Uh, I think when people were around Jesus, they just felt like we felt with Dr. Johnson. It's like, here's a desert out here but when you step into the presence of Jesus, it becomes an oasis, and it becomes safe, and it becomes, and you feel treasured, and you feel valued.
I think, I think that must be why the out-of-it people were just deeply attracted to him. Challenging for us, isn't it? Lord, uh, teach us, teach us to love the people around us that way, connected, warmly welcoming, uh, communicating care and preciousness and value. The tax collectors and sinners drawn to Jesus like a magnet. And there, then, uh, then we have a but. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law grumbled. They muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Here's the men who have studied the sacred writings all their lives because they believe in the scriptures is eternal life. They know them inside and out and they teach the people the scriptures so that the people will follow their God. These are the very men that should have been the welcoming committee for the Messiah. They should have been there, arms open wide. But he kind of fooled them. He was so different than they expected, so different. The needy people on the fringes, sinners, disreputable people, they were drawn to Jesus like a magnet. Then we've got the religious leadership who knew their Bibles, worshiped their God, spent their life dedicated to God. And they're the great evaluators. They are the great criticizers. Now get this. This is God himself incarnate, enfleshed. And the religious leaders are critical of him. What's he think he's doing? He, he, he doesn't know better. They were judging him. The, the ones that were to lead God's people in preparing them for the coming Savior became the religious watchdogs, evaluating everything. And Jesus didn't measure up. I don't want to be like that when I grow up. I don't want you to be that way when you grow up. So there we've got two groups. The out of it fringe people that seem to hang on his every word. They seem to want to be his disciples 
it's as if when Jesus said, unless you give up everything, you can't be my disciples. It's these people, uh, many of whom uh, are of pretty good means. The tax collectors, some of the sinners were doing okay, uh, could buy expensive perfume. Um, but it's like when they were in the presence of Jesus, their attitude was, I've got nothing to give up. I have nothing. I am nothing without this man, without this one. It's not a big sacrifice. He's telling us the words of life. Well, because all this is going on, uh, those magnetized by Jesus and those re just repulsed by him. And so, he tells these stories. And he tells them for both groups. And uh, this is really interesting. I only noticed this last night. He told this parable, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep. So, in other words, suppose one of you is a shepherd and you've got a hundred sheep and one goes off and is lost. And you're going to leave the 99 and you're going you're to go find the lost sheep. It struck me, uh, you may or may not know, shepherds in Jesus' day, their testimony counted for nothing in a court of law. And yet it was shepherds that the angels first appeared to announce the coming, the birth of our Savior. Isn't that interesting? It was almost like uh, in, in the face of the culture and its, its negative view towards shepherds, just kind of in your face, God says, I'm going to announce this to shepherds. And then Jesus, as if he's uh, crafting this story to draw those who want to listen and to push away those who are judging him. He says, let's suppose you were a shepherd. <laughs> who wants to be a shepherd? But can you imagine if you were part of the center tax collector crowd out on the fringes, if a story's being told and the rescuer in the story is kind of one of your people, uh, in a way, you would feel honored? Like, well, one of us is a hero in the story. It would make the religious leaders sick to hear the story that they'd shut down. Well, anyway, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, loses one, doesn't, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, I love this, when he finds it, he joyfully uh, picks it up, puts it on his shoulder, I don't quite know why uh, they wouldn't carry the sheep in their arms, except if you had a long distance to go. I can imagine this 
really getting you in the lower back. And a, a smart shepherd would be carrying the sheep here because you could just stay upright and walk uh, a much better, a more sensible thing to do. But, you know, I imagine the shepherd, he joyfully finds his sheep. Uh, the sheep doesn't, doesn't jump on his shoulders. A sheep was probably helpless on his back and couldn't get up. Uh, he picks the sheep up, slings it over his shoulders, both sets of legs, uh, and, and joy is filling his heart that he found the sheep. And don't you imagine the shepherd walking back and just stroking the legs of that sheep? Just enjoy. Anyway, he carries the sheep back in joy, and he goes home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Now, you're a Pharisee listening to this. First of all, you're not impressed that it's a shepherd. Second of all, you want nothing to do with the shepherd's friends and neighbors. They're fringe folks too. But the, the shepherd gets together friends and neighbors likely because they know they really will rejoice with him. They will know the joy of finding the lost sheep. And um, so the, the story, you see how it's not appealing to the religious leaders. It's kind of in their face. Uh, it, it's, uh, I see the heart of Jesus just so wanting to shock them and get their attention to say, don't you see? Don't you see what love is about? Anyway, he celebrates with his friends, and then Jesus gives the punchline of the parable. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people that don't need to repent. Uh, do you get his punchline? Aimed at the fringe who are messed up. Wonderful news to them. Our God gets excited about the one who repents. Way more excited than about the 99 who don't need to repent. And do you know, the Pharisees knew who the 99 were in the story. Yeah, Jesus wasn't winning friends here. Uh, it was like he was making his relationship uh, he was making it worse with the religious leaders, and he continued to draw in the fringe folks. That's our God. That's the kind of heart our God has, a heart of mercy for those who are hurting and needing. His heart goes out to us. Well, and then he tells another story, and I love this. I, I, didn't, I never thought about this before last night. Um, 
the woman is the star of this story. Wait, women couldn't testify in court anyway. Their testimony didn't count for anything. The culture of the day ranked women down here. Men were up here. So Jesus makes the woman the center of his story. <laughs> the fringe people are hearing that and saying, whoa. Jesus is telling a story about one of us again. And the woman has 10 coins worth about a week and a half wages. She loses one. She does what she has to do to find it. Uh, she finds it. She gets her friends and neighbors together to rejoice with her, to celebrate. Uh, again, the Pharisees are hearing it and saying, I don't want to be with, I don't want to be a friend and neighbor of her. You see the tension that's going on? Jesus is preaching good, life-giving news that changes everything. And the folks in the know, to them, it was a complete turnoff. To those who were desperate and needy, not necessarily financially, but just judged by all of society, looked down on. He was giving them life by his very words. And the punchline here with the woman, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's really interesting. Uh, the coin did nothing to be found. It just laid there. The sheep did nothing to be rescued except get lost. Uh, you know, uh, it's as if when Jesus says there's rejoicing over one sinner who repents, that that's equivalent to saying uh, the heavens rejoice over one sinner, over one rescued life. God rejoices over rescuing lives. Bad news if you don't need rescuing. Wonderful news if you're just about to drown. Well, I've, as I thought about this, I don't know about you, when I read that parable, I rarely connect with the tax collectors and the sinners. I just know, you know, I'm just a lot better than that, right? Uh, uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not uh, on the same wavelength with them. And maybe, maybe you feel that way. And, and that kind of creates a problem because I don't really want to relate to the Pharisees and the teachers of law, uh, right? I mean, they're kind of the bad guys in this parable. I, if I relate to them, I feel like I'm really in trouble. Uh, so what do we do about that? You know, uh, 
I was thinking about us as a group. Uh, I think we're a pretty outstanding group, and I think we're a pretty reputable group. Uh, in general, I think we're pretty highly educated. In general, I think we represent careers that are pretty well respected. Um, uh, we're, we're pretty good people of, of good reputation. How in the world uh, would we ever find ourselves drawn to Jesus because we, we seem uh, a little bit more like the Pharisees and tax collectors? I mean, you know, and we, we know the scriptures, a lot of us do. It just makes me glad I'm not a teacher of the scriptures to, so that I have to relate to them. Oh, wait, I am. Uh, but it, it is a problem. Think about it. Uh, we're reputable. In general, the community doesn't look down their nose at most of us. Maybe there's times that it happens, but so... So what do we do with that? Um, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, get off externals for a moment and just have us look at an, another part of our lives. I, it seems to me, as I think about us as a group, I, I don't know everybody here, uh, but in general, as I think about us, I think there are some of us experiencing a pretty deep, heavy-duty loneliness in here. I think there's some of us that are experiencing... Uh, in a pretty fresh way, this frightening vulnerability that suggests that I am inadequate to cope with my own life. I think there are some of us that have a surprising sense if we were honest with ourselves, of being lost and completely alone. In spite of success in some ways, there are some of us painfully experiencing failure in other ways. Uh, some of us may be wondering, how much longer can I take this? I'm just about at the end of my rope. I wonder how many of us are feeling... Uh, pretty much miserable 
and hopeless. And you know what may make it worse? It's, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's supposed to work this way. It may make it worse sometimes when we know the scriptures and when we know Christ as our Savior. And at the same time, we're going through stuff personally that our entire world seems to be falling apart that we, we feel like it shouldn't be falling apart because I know him, but it is falling apart and I'm miserable and though I know him, I feel hopeless. Have I got good news for you? If you relate to any of that, We're the tax collectors and sinners. And if you're in that state that uh, the very fabric of your life feels like it's coming apart, uh, to the outside observer, maybe not. But to the God who sees into your soul, he knows. He knows what it's like. There's good news. And this is a confusing thing about the kingdom of God. Uh, When I became a Christian, I thought I would grow and mature. And as that happened, life would get better and better and better. And I would feel more and more and more together. I'd feel more whole and tax collectors and sinners don't so much feel that way they seem to get that is as I'm tasting deep pain and anguish in my life all of a sudden I don't have lots to offer Jesus anymore. And all of a sudden, I don't feel so together spiritually. And all of a sudden, I am desperate for the touch of the Messiah. And all of a sudden, slow as it is, we start experiencing the good news all of a sudden, the good news becomes really, really good. What we thought was good becomes great because our life depends on it. Jesus has come for you. His arms are wide open for you. He warmly welcomes you into his presence even this morning. He's warmly inviting you into his rest.
into his oasis of safety and value and preciousness. Did you know his heart aches for you? And he's just asking you to throw yourself at his feet. Remember Mary and Martha. Martha's busy preparing, and Mary just plops down at Jesus' feet and is just listening to him. Jesus is inviting you, just listen to me. Be drawn to me. Listen to his words of life, his words of hope, his words of mercy. If you were the only person in the room and, and he were up here, uh, and or imagine you're in a big crowd and and Jesus catches your eye and he just starts smiling. And then you start to get nervous because he starts to walk toward you, right? And, and you're freaked out like you're not worthy or something. And he just comes to you and gives you the biggest bear hug. And he calls you by name And he says, you are mine and I am yours. That's the good news. Jesus has come for you. Oh, how he loves you. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who hovered above the waters and by his spoken word created all that is. That one came to show us what love looks like. That one came and loved us to the extent that he took on himself the penalty for our insistence on living life on our own terms, our sin. He voluntarily went to the Roman cross, the most treacherous instrument of death in that time, and shed his blood to wash over us, tax collectors and sinners, us fringe people, us women and shepherds, us desperate people, who have every reason to look down on, to be looked down upon, except our creator treasures us and takes us under his wing. And he died, and on the third day, he rose up from the grave to declare not even death has a hold on him. This is the Son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, who has looked at you and said, oh, my child who is needy and helpless, let me pick you up and let me put you on my shoulders and I will rejoice. I love 
and delight in rescuing you. That's why the tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus like a magnet. They had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And Jesus was proud to call them friends. Every time he ate with sinners, which turned off the religious leaders so much, in the Jewish culture, eating with someone is really declaring your friendship. It's like total acceptance. We're like that a, way, a little bit. Uh, how, how often do you eat with an enemy? Probably not often. Well, maybe we had some family Thanksgiving dinners. I, I don't know. Uh, but Jesus, in eating with sinners, was declaring them his friends. Uh, was he saying, oh, your lifestyle just doesn't matter? Oh, of course not. They knew. He just embraced them with his acceptance and his righteousness. And everything changed for them. That's the message of the kingdom. That's why we anticipate our Savior coming again. That's why we celebrate his first coming. And that's why we're asking him right now to show up right here for you and for me. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. I think uh, I think his most difficult task is convincing us that we are greatly loved. in spite of our helplessness, in spite of our powerlessness. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we cannot rescue ourselves. You know we've tried. Lord, I, I'd like to ask you, by the power of your Spirit, even right now, We who are lonely, we who are desperate, we who, whose lives seem to be breaking apart, we who are uh, feeling exposed
It feels dangerous. Oh, how we need your all-embracing touch this morning. Would you, by your spirit, open our eyes to see you in all your beauty, in all your mercy. And by faith, would you enable us to lock eyes with you and to be taken in by your compassionate gaze. We need that. We need life. We're sick of death. We need life, and you are the only source of it. We give you our all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 